we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Yeah, and right now you're thinking, okay, I'm not going to have to take notes on this sermon. I've got it. There are things that we know and we know we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, but if we're not careful, that can become a slogan. Like State Farm, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I've been insured by State Farm for over 50 years. I'm that old, all right? I had to put in a claim a few years ago. I go in their office. I tell them what I need. They literally say, I'm sitting in, I'm at the desk of my State Farm agent, and they say, you'll need to call our 800 number for that. And if you'll go use the phone over at the reception desk, that would be the best way to do this. State Farm, we need to talk about what a good neighbor is. We need to talk about what beef. I walked, I literally walked over to the reception desk, dialed the 800 number, and they said, where are you? And I said, I'm in your office. I'm at your place and you won't help me like a good... I still send them a check every month because if you're with them for 50 years, you get this awesome discount, all right? So I'm not upset enough to leave, but they... We need to talk about what being a good neighbor is. And, and I think as Christians, we need, we need to do more than know that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We need to talk this morning about what being a good neighbor really means so that it impacts our life and it changes who we are and it's not just a slogan uh, that we toss out. We're going to be in the 10th chapter of the book of Luke. A man came to Jesus And he asked him this question. The Bible says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. This was not a good idea, guys, okay? Not a good plan. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, he's special, okay? It's just, what about me? What must I do? I know what everybody else should do, but, but look at me, Jesus. What must I do? So Jesus just says, Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered, uh, Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this, and you will live. You've got it. You know the answer. Just go do it. It's not the answer the man wanted. He didn't want to be told what he needed to go do. He just wanted to talk about what he should do. He was one of these people that liked to hold, he liked to hold meetings. Let's, let's get together and talk this absolutely to death. I had a friend years ago, and he was working in Kansas City. His boss was in California. So his boss flew him from Kansas City to California, and he sits in front of his boss's desk, and his boss says, Doug, what can I do to help you succeed at your job? Doug said, you can quit flying me to California to ask me this question. I had a lot of work to do. I need to be back in my office getting it done. This is ridiculous. Doug is no longer at that company. (laughs) His boss wanted to talk about it. This man wanted to talk about it. And, And Jesus says, you've got the right answer. Do this and you will live. This is when the meeting should have ended. We've all been in those meetings where 
you checked out mentally five minutes into the meeting, and the meeting just kept going and going, and finally, this thing has ground to a halt, and you're about to get out, and everyone knows the meeting's over, and someone says, could I ask a question before we leave? Please don't. This man should have let this meeting in. Jesus said, do this and you will live. He should have said, thank you. And turned around to his friends and said, well, I tried to trap him and I couldn't. But he took it a step farther and he shouldn't have. So he says in uh, verse 28, uh, uh, verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. He didn't feel like he had a good enough answer yet. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Let's talk about this some more. And in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So the question's out there, who is my neighbor? And Jesus decides to tell a story because that's what Jesus did. He told a lot of stories and he told really good stories. And this is one of the best stories he told. This story is so good that people who really have nothing to do with church or Christianity know this story. It's such a great story. And, and he describes this man, he, he says, the man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. We just need to stop here for a minute and like the man asked the question and he shouldn't have, I may at the end of the sermon wish I hadn't stopped here because in our culture today, there are all kinds of ways you can get in trouble by saying the wrong thing. And I'm about to say some things that may be the wrong thing to say. All right. So I think it's significant to notice that this man had simply been going about his business and other people came and inflicted pain and suffering on him and took everything that he had and left him on the side of the road. This is who this person is. But somehow, over the years, we've decided that this person represents everyone who is in poverty. And this is where I can get in trouble here, all right? I'm not in favor of poverty. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about people in poverty. I'm saying this story is not about a man who is in poverty. It just isn't. My wife and I, I I'm going to say this, so I, if I get in trouble, I'll maybe get in less trouble. My wife and I spent the 10 years of our life before coming to this church working with people in poverty in East Texas, all right? I've invested a lot of my life. We've both invested a lot of our lives helping people move out of poverty. So this is not a pro-poverty sermon. I'm not saying you shouldn't care about people in poverty. I'm saying that's not what the story is about. This man was beaten and left at the side of the road. And we just need to notice it's about a person in need because here's what Jesus is doing. He's going to answer the man's question of uh, who is my neighbor? But more significantly, he's going to answer the question of how do we love our neighbor? 
He not only is going to give us a definition of neighbor, He's going to give us a definition of love. And the definition He's going to give us is this. Love is discovering and meeting needs. And if we believe that all the commandments can be summed up in the two statements of love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, we need to have a really good definition of love. And Jesus is going to show us in this parable that love is discovering and meeting the needs of the people we encounter, and those are our neighbors. When we look at people in need, it sometimes gets tricky these days. Because the Samaritan came along, he saw the man on the side of the road, he stopped and he helped him. And he helped him in a tremendous fashion. I mean, you know how the story ends. That doesn't mean that other people should go lay down in the road where this man was because that's where people came and gave him money. And this is where it gets real tricky sometimes. And having spent a decade of my life working in the realm of poverty, it's tricky. Because you want to help those who really need help. But if you're not careful, you'll give your resources to those who are taking resources from those who really need help. And it's hard to know the difference. Here's one way it gets confusing. Statistics. Do you like statistics? No. Okay, just zone out. Every year, the last 10 days of January, every state has to count the number of homeless people in its state. It's called the point-in-time survey. I've done the point-in-time survey. The point-in-time survey is you go out in the evening and you try to find all the homeless people and you count all of them. I've actually gone out, and, and literally one time in downtown Tyler, Texas, there was a, a place where this guy lived under a bush, and we were shaking the bush, and I thought, this is what it means to go out and shake the bushes. We were literally shaking the bushes to see if he was there, because we knew that's where he lived most of the time. He wasn't there. We didn't get to count him that night. The last point in time survey for the Denver metro area showed a 22% increase in homelessness showed 9,062 people are homeless in the Denver metro area. That's the big number. That's the number you're going to hear. That's the number that's presented. Again, this is tricky. Who was on the side of the road? Who do we need to help? Who are these people? Where are they? That number actually covers seven counties. It goes from north of Boulder to south of Castle Rock. Did you know that about that number? Did you know that of the 9,062, 70% of those counted at the point in time survey in January are actually housed? 72% were in a shelter or in a home. It just wasn't theirs by name. So now we're, now we're down to a little over 2,000. I didn't know that. It gets confusing. This is why our church partners with Joshua Station. Joshua Station specializes in helping those who need help, and they do it extremely well. And I'm going to give to Joshua Station personally instead of trying to figure out on my own who's who. Now again, I want to stay out of trouble, 
So I'm going to go all the way down to Tyler, Texas. Tyler is two hours east of Dallas, straight down I-20, okay? So I'm not saying this is true of everyone who does this, but I'm saying to you, there's a man in Tyler, Texas, where I knew the homeless by name, all right? This man walked out of his house every day, got into his Ford F-250, drove down near the intersection he wanted to work, he parked his truck, he walked two blocks, he got out his little sign that said, we'll work, and he wouldn't, and he stood there and people handed him money all day. He got back in his Ford F-250 and he drove back to his house. This happened on a daily basis in Tyler, Texas. I'm not saying everyone on the street corner is doing this. I'm saying when I give my money, I want to make sure that I'm helping someone who's really broken and beaten and on the side of the road. And Joshua Station helps me do that. And by the way, if you give to New Denver Church, a portion of every dollar you give goes to Joshua Station every month where they help families move out of, holding, uh, out of, out of uh, homelessness. I'm really not fundraising right now. I'm just letting you know, all right? The administrator, it's what I do. So we've got this situation where the man is going down the side of the road. We're back out of the danger zone now, all right? You can relax. So he, he came across a man with a genuine need. But before the Samaritan came across the man with the genuine need, a priest and a Levite came across a man, came across a man with a genuine need. So verse 31 tells us, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Well, doing nothing is always an option. You learn that if you've taken a leadership class on getting people to make a decision. First thing you do is say, we can do nothing. Where's that going to lead us? And these men decided to do nothing. Doing nothing is, is not a good solution. Doing nothing is really not an option for those who believe that love is discovering and meeting needs. We need to figure out how to do this. There are ways in which the story of the Good Samaritan has gotten twisted, and there are ways in which it's used very, very well. Do you know in Colorado we have a Good Samaritan law? Many states have it. The Good Samaritan law says that if a medical professional stops and helps a person in need, they cannot be sued for trying to help that person. That's the Good Samaritan law. It's a great thing. It lets people go do their best. And sometimes, folks, the best we could, all we can do is just to do our best. And we, we reach out and we try to help. And sometimes we help the right people and sometimes we don't. And sometimes we help in the right way and sometimes we don't. But in Colorado, medical professionals are protected and that's a very important thing. In Denver, we have the Good Samaritan Hospital, a 234-bed nonprofit hospital. It's ranked as the sixth best hospital in the entire state. They're doing it well and they're doing it right and they're reaching out and they're finding people with needs. That's a great way to do it. Here's a problem that we have in being good Samaritans in our world today. We don't often just walk up on somebody with this overwhelming need like the Samaritan did. But my goodness, 
we are told about every need that is out there. Have you ever sat down at night, you just want to relax and watch TV? And all of a sudden, this emaciated dog appears on the screen? This dog's starving to death and it's your fault! I'm sorry. This child needs surgery. You can either have another fancy cup of coffee or you can save this child's life. I'm sorry I drink coffee. What, what are we supposed to do? We don't have to walk down the road. You just go to check text messages on your phone and the ads pop up for all these places telling you of all these needs. If it's okay, can I just take a little guilt off of you? You don't have to meet all those needs. God is not asking you to meet all those needs. Love is discovering and meeting needs and there are specific needs that I believe God wants you to meet and specific needs that I believe He wants me to meet. It used to be back in the old days of magazines, there'd be pictures appear, you know, these children say, you can either, you can either do something good or turn the page. I'm turning the page. I, because I figured out in my life what I believe God wants me to do. And I'm doing that. And I can't do it all. I just can't. But I do have to figure out what he's asked me to do. And that is the beauty of what the Samaritan did. As opposed to the priest and Levite who just said, I don't know what to do, and they just walked away. The Samaritan said, I'm going to figure out what to do. And I'm going to do it. So what uniquely is God calling you to do? to help the people in need around you. Let's look at what the Samaritan did. But the Samaritan, verse 33, the Samaritan as he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Well, let's stop there, because the first thing he did was he really saw the man. He looked at him. He saw him. He knew he was there. I have an acquaintance. He was, there was a conference. Mother Teresa was coming to speak at the conference. He was in charge of picking her up from the airport. And his, he said his overwhelming fear was that he'd have an accident and kill Mother Teresa. It, you know, that's just not the headline you want your name associated with. They would mention it at his funeral. You know. So he picks her up from the airport and he said the first thing he noticed was how tiny she was. And then he said, they're walking down, they're leaving the airport, and he turns around and she's gone. And he thought, I lost her. How did I lose her? He went back and there was a man who was broken and needing help, and she had stopped to help him. And he said, what really hit him was, he said, I didn't even see the man. It's not that I chose not to help him, I didn't see him. The Samaritan saw the person who needed help. The first thing we have to do is see people who need help and care about them the way that Jesus did. We do this with babies. We see them and we care about them. If God gave you a child at some point in your life and you had that baby and you told everyone, oh, I love my baby... I remember those days and they were a long time ago. Those were not all pleasant times to love, all right? That meant I, I changed diapers. That meant when one night I held my daughter above me and said, oh, you look so great. She had just eaten and it was, 
it got real ugly real fast. And I took care of her. We had one child that the only way to calm her down was to sit on the corner of a bed and bounce her vertically for like eight to ten hours straight. <laughs> it was unreal. Fortunately, our second child didn't require that, so we didn't do that for him because love is discovering and meeting needs. You do what your baby needs. We didn't bounce our second child straight up and down because he didn't need that. Our first child needed that. So we discover these needs. So the Samaritan's walking along and he sees this man and he goes over and he decides, I'm going to meet this man's needs. So he does. He takes the risk and he goes over. Verse 34 says, he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. This cost him something. He gave up his his comfort, he gave it away to this man, and he took him to an inn, and then he took care of him. He actually saw this need, and, and he reached out, and he did what he could. That's all you can do. And the needs that are around you are, are definitely, most of the needs around you are not going to be related to poverty, but you're surrounded by people who have needs. Years ago, I, I had a man in my church, a wonderful man, let, let's call him Bill. And, and I'm not being ugly when I say this, it was just an observation. There'd be times I would be talking to Bill and I would think, how do you hold a job? Because there were some basic life things he just had trouble doing. Wonderful man, wife and kids, and he was easy to talk to and, and easy to be around, but he had some challenges. I was Bill's pastor for a number of years, and, and Bill's wife got sick. She had a terminal disease, and she was literally down to the last hours of her life, and I went to the hospital to be with them. And I'm there with the family, and I stepped out in the hallway for a minute, and folks were from the church were there mingling, and I knew everybody until this very well-dressed man gets off the elevator and walks up, and He's looking for Bill. And I went over to him. I, didn't, I knew everybody except him. I went over and I said, uh, hey, I'm, I'm Bill's pastor. Tell me what your connection to him is. And he said, oh, we work together. So you've come to the hospital when his... And I looked at him and I said, a lot of people work with Bill and they're not here. Like, I'm not letting you get away with this answer. And I've got time, and we're just going to stand here. I didn't say that part, but he knew it. And I'll never forget, he, he just kind of, he dropped his head like, man, I thought this guy would just let me get off with, I work with Bill, and he's not going to let me get away with that. I said, what's your connection to Bill? And here's what he told me. He said, well, there are four or five of us down at the office, we do Bill's work for him. We protect him from the supervisors. We just take care of him. And when we found out his wife was dying, I told our little friend group that I would come down and check on him today. I almost started crying. 
That was so beautiful. Do you know how many people have coworkers that aren't pulling their weight and all, all they try to do is try to get the person fired? And there was a little friend group. That, this was a government job, all right? This was a, they worked for the federal government. And this little group of people just said, we don't know why, but he needs our help. And, and we're going to have him, before he turns things into the supervisor, we're going to have him turn them into us first, and we're going to redo everything, and we're going to take the load, and we're going to do all of his work, and we're going to do this year after year after year after year because he needs us. Love is discovering and meeting needs. And four or five people at that office decided they wouldn't complain about somebody not pulling their weight. They would just step up and meet his needs. That's what the Samaritan did. He stepped up and he met this man's needs. And then, then he did something that you're going to really like this next part, all right? Verse 35 says, uh, the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. This guy still needed the Samaritan, but the Samaritan had a job and he needed to move on. And he left. He did what he could and, and he couldn't do everything. And there came a time where he just had to walk away and he walked away. Do you see the beauty of that? Do you know what you would do to yourself if you had been taking care of someone in need and you decided you just couldn't do it anymore? You'd beat yourself up and you'd say, the Good Samaritan wouldn't have done that. He would have stayed right. No, the Good Samaritan just left. I've got a meeting. I've got to go. And he wrote a check, checkbook charity. That's all it is. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And sometimes that's all we can do because of time constraints or sometimes there are needs that need to be met and we just can't do it ourselves. I had the privilege of serving on the board of directors for a, a safe home for women who had been uh, caught up in sex trafficking. And I served on that board for almost a decade. I was at one of our board meetings and I was sitting next to uh, one of the founders of, of the ministry. And we were just having our meeting and she said something just really dumb, to be honest. Just, and, and the moment she said it, she just laughed. She said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really tired. <laughs> I was up till after midnight counseling a six-year-old. And, and she just went on and I sat there and I thought, I could not have heard that right. And I leaned over to her and I said, Missy, did you say you were counseling a six-year-old girl who'd been trafficked? And she said, yeah. I said, okay. And the meeting went on and I didn't hear anything for a while. Because the questions going through my mind or the questions going through yours of, of who, how, what, I just could not comprehend what was going on. And I also remember sitting there thinking because I'm the money guy, right? So I had this giant spreadsheet in front of me. And when it came time to deal with money issues for this nonprofit, 
they all just quit talking and they looked at me and so they said, Scott, what do we do? And I gave them the money answers. And, and I looked at my spreadsheet and I thought, I can't do that. I just can't. I can't take care of that need. But I can make it possible for them to stay afloat financially so that they can do it. And I can write a check so that they can do it. My wife and I gave to that organization. We still, to this day, give to that nonprofit because it's just something that God put on our heart. And it's something He's called us to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. What is it that God is asking you to do? You need to be faithful in doing whatever you can. And if it's something you just can't do, empower someone else to do it. Well, the story ends with a question like it began. Began with the man asking Jesus a question. It ends with Jesus asking the man a question. And he says, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And Jesus tells us today, go and do likewise. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this beautiful story. We thank you for the truths that it contains. Help us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves and help us to do that well. Help us to know which neighbors we're to love and how we're to love. Help us to know which needs you want us to meet and help us to know how you want us to meet those needs. In the name of Jesus, who met our needs by dying on the cross to pay the price for our sins, we pray. Amen.